the passenger gets to choose how you would like to pay cash, credit card, and what is the tip amount. Now, you would say today, uh, what is the significance of it? But that was back then a huge, significant change because driver was in control of everything inside the cab environment. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Amos Tamam is the CEO of Curb, the leading ride-hailing app and the first universal platform to order on-demand licensed taxis and for hire vehicles. Curb provides next-gen hardware, software, and app solutions for both drivers and fleets, creating one of the largest networks of licensed taxi drivers in the U.S. Curb was created in 2018 when Amos acquired Verifone Transportation Systems, the company he founded back from Verifone. It now has over 100,000 drivers on its network across the nation and powers over 10 million trips per month. Amos's journey to revolutionize the taxi industry started in 1992 when he led the development of the first credit card taxi meter. Since then, he's founded and run several businesses while modernizing transportation platforms and solutions, electronic payments, mobile applications, and more. Just recently, Curb announced a strategic partnership agreement with Uber, enabling Curb-connected taxi drivers to receive trip requests from Uber users, an integration that will shape the future of the taxi space significantly moving forward. We began our conversation talking about Amos's origins in the taxi service industry, a discussion that ultimately led to how he's working to address the multi-app challenge in the industry in an effort to create a unified and distraction-free app for drivers. I think going back to 1997 it was just an open t- opportunity that was presented to me. I was still uh, last year in uh, engineering school in Tel Aviv University in Israel. Uh, I got a call one day from my brother-in-law. He was here. They, were, uh, they had this uh, business for uh, taxi meters. Uh, back then, we used to call it the cash register for uh, for taxi cabs. And he asked me if I can, uh, if I'm willing to come and help for one year to uh, help with some product uh, deficiencies and also. Uh, uh, implement the infrastructure. Uh, you know, I was young, I was 25. I said, sure, why not? I came, uh, you know, for one year and I'm still here 35 years later. So uh, that's, I guess, how I got into into that business originally. And what was that like for you coming from Tel Aviv and into New York City, especially in the, the taxi industry? Was that kind of a wake-up call? I love it. I love this from the day I landed in New York City. New York City is is pretty much everything I like about uh, the US. But uh, yeah, the introduction is is, is different. Uh, it's it's a large industry. It's, uh, back in the eighties, uh, it uh, was very wealthy, very strong. The industry generated almost uh, one million trips a day. Uh, there was no competition, pretty much. So the environment was there, but the moment I'll be honest with you, the moment I got involved is all I was start thinking about is this is truly a cash register. It's not even a, a POS uh, for cabs, and all they did is accepting credit. I'm sorry, cash and. Uh, the first thing I was thinking to myself uh, later, uh, not too late, is around the 1990s, like how and what can we do uh, for cabs to uh, 
to improve the service for the public. And uh, one of the things is that in the early 1992s, uh, credit card was on a rise. Credit card usage, I should say, was on a rise, uh, was the replacement for cash. Uh, and it's uh, been accepted uh, everywhere. The only uh, missing link for a business traveler or for travelers in general was uh, the taxi cabs only accepted uh, cash. So uh, here idea, the idea matured to say, hey, why don't we make those cash register or taxi meters accept credit card? Great idea. I thought it was great, but uh, launching it was a different story. It wasn't uh, too easy. Uh, the I think there was a product that was ahead of the curve. Drivers were so accustomed for cash. They didn't want to change. And technology was not thoroughly there. We used what we call a store and forward techniques where we couldn't, the, the wireless uh, infrastructure was not there. So things could not have been done uh, online. But look, we probably two years into it, we decided to, to shut it down, but only to come back in 2000 when uh, I think there was RAM mobile data and AT&T launched the first wireless infrastructure. It was uh, RAM mobile data later turned to be a uh, the BlackBerry company, but AT&T launched the CDPD and we, I jumped on it right away. I said, hey, finally, infrastructure will allow us to accept uh, credit cards in cab in a more friendly and, and friendly manner for both drivers and passengers. So um, so here we go. In 2000, uh, we, we launched the product. Finally, it was the first wireless credit card taxi meter in the world. So, I mean, you think about it back, you say, what is he talking about? Everybody's accepting credit card. But no, that was the, the days where cash was king and credit yeah. card was just making its way. So we we successfully uh, convinced the um, some of the fleet owners in New York and the TLC to uh, deploy a pilot. Uh, we successfully deployed the first pilot of uh, 3,000 vehicles. Needless to say that the public love it, the drivers got to a certain degree, ac- accepted it. And it started a snowball effect where a lot of municipalities, New York, Philadelphia, start looking to what's happening and say, hey, it's time. Like we have not uh, did any really a serious technology upgrade in the taxi since the uh, late 60s. Philly was the first one, the first uh, large municipality that uh, published an RFP that, among other things, include, of course, credit card acceptance. But uh, they also introduced a new concept, which is uh, a coordinated dispatch system. Later on, same concept as Uber and Lyft, basically, and Curb back in later in 2018. We participated in that RFP in 2005. We made some, some tweaks to the uh, system. So we wanted a, a more sophisticated point of sale device. And we also wanted the point of sale device to be in the back seat. So the card never leave the passenger side, I'm sorry, the passenger hand. And the passenger gets to choose how he would like to pay cash, credit card, and what is the tip amount. Now you would say today, uh, what is the significance of it? But that was back then a huge significant change because because driver was in control of everything inside the cab environment. So looking into a terminal, we selected the Verifone POS, and Verifone is uh, one of the largest and still one of the largest uh, point-of-sale devices manufactured worldwide. And I remember that when we started inquiring about this terminal, uh, one day I got a call from no other than Doug Bergeron, who was the CEO of uh, Verifone, and he invited me to California. We met in Carmel for dinner, and I felt like uh, being investigated to why are you putting... <laughs> <laughs> a POS in the back of the cab. Cab is a cash business. What are you going to do without terminals? I say, sir, nothing other than enable the public to accept credit cards. But that turned to be a, a very fruitful conversation anywhere and enlightening even for Doug because uh, one of the decisions I made in early 2000 is to switch away from box manufacture where a box manufacturer to me is a manufacturer that every quarter starts from zero because you have to sell enough boxes to meet your, your projected uh, 
revenues, and it's difficult. And I decided to switch away or take the boxes that we sell and maybe sell it for less, but sell without a whole system, entire infrastructure, whereby that infrastructure creates for us an incremental revenues. So you build a, bl- a building blocks, and every quarter you have more building blocks that you, you build, and you don't really start from zero. When I, when I mentioned that to Doug, is you could see his eye open. He said, can you do that? I said, yes, because he said, because you know what? Very fun, very fun. I was thinking about it for a year. And you know what? Let's do business together. I would like to start with you and then to see from here how we build more businesses or incremental businesses for Verifone. So in 2005, basically, Verifone purchased a minority share in, in my company called back then Taxitronic. And uh, we renamed it to uh, Verifone Transportation Systems. The next uh, block or the next uh, milestone was really in 2007. That was a big change. Uh, Philadelphia was really nice, nice uh, market, but uh, when New York does something, you know, that has, that's shaking many, many other markets. So in 2007, we launched a similar concept uh, in New York City that was part of a set of guidelines set by the city. And in addition to credit cards and vehicle location, GPS, tracking the vehicle, etc., of course, back then, uh, the mayor was no other than uh, Michael Bloomberg. Sure. And you couldn't do anything with Michael Bloomberg without having some type of a media. <laughs> so uh, the mayor... Uh, wanted a taxi TV in the back of the cabs. And that was the, the beginning of taxi TVs uh, in the back of cabs. Later on in 2010, uh, we totally merged the business into Verifone and we reached to the global markets. We, over the next few years, we expanded the business to um, not only uh, national in the US, but uh, to Europe and South America. And uh, as we continue to expand, we always believe that demand is a key. So we wanted to make uh, sure that it's easier to make payments in cabs. Of course, again, we are looking to 2013, 2015, where Uber Lyft was at the beginning of the road. So we were still keying toward how is the street hell and how trips uh, uh, generated from, from a street hell is, is being uh, conducted in a more efficient way. So in 2013, we launched the first ever um, mobile payments. Uh, it's called The Way to Ride. It's an app that you jump into a cab and you punch a seven-digit code and here we go. You don't have to pull your card. It's payment. I think one of the most important thing on launching this product, but in general, that concept was it was the first time that we were not the only vendor in New York City. Back then, there was two, two more. But it was the first time that we managed to convince the industry stakeholder. We managed to convince the competitor that here's a product that it's good for everyone, but the only way it's going to work when it's enabled across the board on all platforms and on all cabs in New York. So in 2013, we launched a product, which was uh, was a really like a moment of pride because you can jump into any cab, regardless of who is the drivers, uh, as long as it's a yellow cab and who is the vendor, you pay in a card with no and so you pay the fare without uh, pulling the credit card. That's how we uh, evolve. Uh, now in 2017, going to 2018, Verifone decided to divest some businesses and really uh, focus back in core, which is uh, credit card acceptance, uh, infrastructure that uh, geared around uh, credit cards. And uh, that's how in December, early 2018, uh, Curb Mobility was was born. So in like 10 minutes, that's my 35, almost 35 years life story. I love, I didn't want to stop you because you, you gave the whole scenario from start to finish. And all I kept thinking about was it's really only been 20 years less where I just remember cabs, they always, to be able to pay by credit card still uh-huh. to me seems so new and unique. 
and how the drivers at first always wanted cash. They didn't want it. And now when I get into a cab, it's just expected. And you are in control as a passenger in the back. But tell me about, it's an incredible history and you came from a technology side. And it's also amazing to me, all this technology you were creating and had done, and we'll get into the lifts of the world and, and the Ubers, but you were really ahead of the game. But tell me, about curb mobility and why you went in that direction? I think that was a natural evolution to our business. Um, if you listen to what I said and, and you realize that for us, uh, a technology was always a mean to have leadership or to, to take leadership within our industry. But the focus before the ride-sharing companies was on the demand, only that the demand came from street hill, airports, taxi stand. So we all this year focus on that, but with the introduction of the ride-sharing companies, there was a need for our clients to really compete on different type of demand, which is pre-arranged. In different markets, like in New York, but I don't want to keep on using New York only as an example, but in New York, we have a clear separation between pre-arranged rides and street hail, and pre-arranged was only for black car and livery vehicles. Yeah. And they were not allowed to do street hail, and yellow is the king, is the one that allowed to do. So, but it was it's similar in, in many other industries, so there was no needs in mind for us really to think about creating that app. If we think about it backward, yeah, we should, we should have done it. But I think what happened is with the introduction of those ride-sharing companies, we quickly realized and the industry quickly realized that the public is welcoming this type of service. And the major thing that really I think the public liked was the advanced pricing that the those applications offered. So in Beginning of 2015, we actually decided to make a push. And one of the acquisitions we made under Verifone was a company called Taxi Magic. Uh, Taxi Magic was a pioneer in mobile app for taxis, mainly focusing only on taxis. And uh, we realized that if we start developing for Scratch, it will take us another year, two, or maybe even three. So we acquired this company, and that was the app itself called Curb. And later on, we also use the company name as we separate from Verifone as Curve Mobility. But it was really competition, competition that drove us to the next uh, chapter in our business. And when you looked at that competition initially, and it's amazing what happens, how it does drive you to do different things. For you personally, having had been in this business for so long, and especially, as I said, coming in initially on the technology side, what was that feeling for you when you started to see the lifts and the Ubers? And was it excitement? Was there anxiety? Yeah, we realized, I realized it's an uphill battle. So we, look, the irony is that when, especially when Uber started, uh, we had a conversation. So uh, Travis was in our office uh, one day and say, how can I work with taxis? And I said, well, it's a great idea. Let me introduce you some some uh, stakeholder in the industry and taxi cab companies. And for a little bit, they actually worked with taxis. So when it started, I felt like, wow, it's great because I always believe when when your clients are strong, when your client's business is strong, so is your business. But of course, for whatever reason, later they changed direction and they uh, decided to stop working with taxis and build the uh, the ride sharing. Um, uh, industry. And that's become a concern because you've seen that the trips are dropping year over year. There's less and less because they did a, a great job. They did a good job on 
on convincing people and uh, offering an easy service, a cheap rate and reliable service. So there was no reason for people not to switch. So yeah, of course, it was a concern, but I think for my entire career, and uh, I have a great team, uh, we don't just uh, give up. Uh, we realize that in business, you have challenges. And if it's not Uber and Lyft, there will be somebody else tomorrow. And we went to uh, these 30 years to uh, the peak and the valleys, but we always uh, believe and realize that there's always solutions. It's never, it's never the end. And when you challenge, it's just get your thought together and figure how you compete. And I think that's what we started to do in 2015. But it's not really until 2018 and that we make tremendous breakthrough in the demand side on the upside. And why was that in 2018? Was there something specifically that happened or yeah. was it uh, just timing? Uh, no, it's it's things that happen. One is, yeah, we... <laughs> We were now no longer very fun, so uh, it was a two really two two people decisions uh, to make. So we can move faster. It's a hmm. decision for when it comes to finance, etc. It's a decision for myself and my partner, uh, Farhad Wadia, of uh, is a managing director of uh, Variant Equity. So it's is, but our technology in twenty going into twenty eighteen, really for the first time, we took that technology, the curb, and we converted or we enabled taxicab medallions that only did street help. For the first time, we bundled them or we brought them into the what we call on-demand market. We introduced for the first time the yellow cab into accessoride program like the MTO of New York. And for the first time, we were getting demand from a third party and pushing it to a taxi and completing a trip, not just from consumers. So we took that and going into COVID, the, the COVID period also, which we utilize it a lot by working with New York City and other municipalities to provide uh, transportation for essential workers and, and others. It convinced us and that the taxis are ready to upgrade or to, to innovate and change the way they conduct business. And I think that We've seen that. And during COVID also, there was really more cabs than I think even uh, ride-sharing cabs, but I'm sorry, ride-sharing vehicle. But it's triggered the new recognition of taxis in the eyes of business people, users, and recognizing that taxi actually can perform those other jobs other than street help. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. Today's CFO is critical to the strategy and success of the business. And in growing companies, there are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes, errors, and lack of visibility into the numbers. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, e-commerce and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. Insights coming with the click of a button. And trust me, when running your own business, you need these insights fast if you want to succeed. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, and budgeting, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. Over 29,000 businesses already use NetSuite. Head to NetSuite dot com slash HSH for a special one of a kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash HSH. Netsuite.com slash HSH. And we're back. 
you said something earlier, especially this is for entrepreneur. We have a lot of entrepreneurs who are listening, people who want to be entrepreneurs. And you talked about, I loved it, that there's always challenges, right? And you always have to keep going. And there's so many people, I'm sure we both know people, the first thing and they fold up shop. And for you, what has always driven you to keep going, to pick yourself off the mat? Success. Success is sweet. But I also, again, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that that is always a solution out there. We, you just have to find it. And the business is always going to evolve. Um, you can see a successful business that keep the same, in our case, technology or services for years and being successful. Uh, we at Curb uh, constantly re- in, reinvent our products uh, in an average of every three to five years, we're advancing it. Technology is advance, uh, advancing. So, so you have to constantly be on the alert. You have to constantly reinvent your business, but uh, it always comes at cost. It's very rare that you have an idea and you launch it and there's no hiccups. It's almost never happens. So you need to be ready to, to fail sometimes, but use the failures as a case study to what you've done wrong in order to come back and do it right. Yeah, I, I love that attitude and, and being an entrepreneur and challenges and ups and downs like a roller coaster, but it's always just about being able to continue. And I love what you said about success, but also knowing that when there are issues, you always know there's a solution. And that's so great because when people don't think, that's what turns them off. And I I think what I want to ask about biggest solution when, when COVID hit, first off, what was that feeling like for you? And then what were some of the solutions or where you went to? Yeah. So yeah, we didn't, I, <laughs> I didn't really know what to expect. I think the first reaction of most business people, uh, well, it's a month or two will go away, but uh, it didn't. So financially it was very difficult for us. Uh, we really kept eating into our reserves. There was hardly any cabs on the road. Uh, obviously business shut down and the length of that period is, is really brutal. So a um, few things happened. That's right. One is uh, I do believe that the greatest assets that a company can have its employees and uh, it takes years to build a good team. Uh, we have, to my taste and, and opinion, we have one of the best talented and, and, and best employees among many companies. So it was a very difficult decision that we had to make is financially is uh, I did not want to furlough. I did not want to fire. So we all basically chipped in. Uh, we cut our salaries, cut the bonuses financially uh, and lower our budget. We went to some of our larger vendors, tried to negotiate pricing and majority uh, corporate, some didn't. But the one thing we didn't do is we did not go to sleep. We realized that, hey, you know what? Business is down fine, but eventually it's going to come back and we want to be in full worth power when it comes back. So we kept on investing. Uh, our engineer and probably most of us work more hours remotely than we probably worked at the, at the office. And we kept on focusing on improving the infrastructure, improve, improving and, uh, and deploying uh, new applications. And we focus on business partnership, including a B2B like Corporate America and non-emergency transportation and power transit. While we really didn't see much benefit during this period of time, we knew that in some of those businesses, when the economy come back, when people coming back to the office, it will prove us right. So we kept on basically working hard. 
Now, during the stay in place uh, or stay in shelter is really that was challenging time for a lot of um, essential workers and elderly people and, and kids to get the COVID vaccination, etc. Worked very hard with a few municipalities and city agencies and the drivers, of course, educating them, making sure they have all the supply to protect themselves. But uh, our guys, I mean, fleets and drivers, uh, they worked. They worked to 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 still transport uh, the people who need the transportation when everything else was shut down. So we were we were active. Let's put it this way. We didn't see revenues, but <laughs> we were very active. Which is such an incredible thing, you know, and sometimes very hard for people in terms of their business and understanding. I mean, I'm sure there was nothing ever like COVID. Many of us have experienced, especially on the business side of things just shutting down. But you continue, you weren't making revenues, but you continued to move forward where a lot of people, sometimes they don't do that. They won't scale back. And it's really just a testament to what you did at Curb Mobility. And I'm thinking now that you've hopefully, and we've all hopefully gone through the worst, what does summer, let's say summer 2022 look like? And what are you expecting? I'm always concerned to project because I project that 2021 would be our greatest year. (laughs) 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 That was in 2020. But look, uh, we are data driven. We are very much hands-on what's happening in the market. We know there's challenges, uh, but we're not the only business and our clients are not the only businesses that challenge with the shortage of uh, labor. But I totally think that is a big difference between 2018, 2019, pre-pandemic, as far as the industry goes, us, our clients, and coming into 2022. Business is coming back. We see it in New York, volume is coming back. Uh, it's not where it's maybe only like 60% to where it was in 2019. But the big difference is that the industry is coming back, I should say, almost with ventures. Very strong. Has the technology to compete with the ride sharing. Have the recognition that taxis are not gone. Taxi may have lost its, some call it, may have lost its sex appeal a few years ago, but it's coming back in popularity. Taxis are safe, taxis are licenses, driver are licensed, but also pricing in taxi is very competitive. So I think the us and the tax industry and our clients coming back with enough ammunition to make an impact or to make a dent in others' business in 2022. Which I love because, like you said, even though you weren't driving revenues, you were still spending during that time of of COVID on technology. So when this day does come or is starting to come, you would be able to be in a great position to compete or even be a better preference than a lot of these ride sharing services. It seems like that was going through your mind when you decided to pull the trigger on on putting a lot of money into advancing your technology. Yep, absolutely. We wanted to be ready. We want to be ready to compete, street retail, on-demand, B2B, and basically other verticals. Uh, we see the taxis playing in a much larger pool of many aggregators or demand aggregators, as we call it, and non-emergency transportations as well. For you, just in terms and looking at your success in the mobility sector, how would you say you've evolved as an entrepreneur since the start of <laughs> since the start of your journey? I just think coming from Israel at 25 and getting thrown into it. And how have you changed? A lot. Look, all the entrepreneurs, right? It's like you start with one employee. Sometimes you're the only employee. And you have maybe one or two employees. You're hands-on of doing everything from, I don't know, even cleaning the office. So 
I think when you start that way, it's hard to let go. It's hard to not be involved with everything, especially I'm very passionate about products. I'm, I'm very passionate about creating products that are really smart. Smart for our clients, smart for, you know, the users. And by background, I mean engineers, right? So as time passes, you have a much larger clientele and much larger uh, group of employees and product managers and engineers. And, and you have to evolve with that and understand that you have to trust them. You just, just bring the right people. I always believe in leadership, meaning always mentoring people, always. I'm holding at least once a week course, basically, with teammates, with our teams. It's maybe separate to different groups, but is I insist that anyone can join it because I want people to understand what's going on in the company with the products. And I find out the more they know, the better job they can do. And they most techers are going to do a better job than you are especially if you're a single uh, person. So I think that's for me was a change is create a structure, create an environment that people can excel. On our quarterly all hand, I, uh, I there's a few points that I repeat. And one of them is um, I encourage people to try, try to, to innovate, try to come up with the ideas and speak up. Always, I would like to know what you think. If your boss don't want to hear what you think or your ideas, come to me. I have an open door. You know, come to me. And at the end of the day, I can tell, tell you that, you know, it's a really dumb idea, but <laughs> I'm not going to get upset. I also encourage people to, to push back. Even when I say something or when I think in certain ways, please push back. I don't know everything by all means. I mean, it's we, we, there's so many daily inputs. This is coming from all direction at us. There's no way in the world that one person or even my entire executive team will be, oh, we are the smartest people in the room. It will never happen. So I encourage people to speak up. Don't be afraid to fail. Try. When you success, it's our company success. When you fail, same lessons. Learn from it and come back. Yeah. It sounds like from what you've done and, and, in changing or how you're running the business now, the transparency, you know, it's, it's so authentic and really seems to me that, like you said earlier, your strength is in this culture that you've created. And it seems to me that's, what's really gotten you as, as much as what you've done in technology, but it seems like that's what's gotten you past COVID and really primed for some serious growth, it seems like. I certainly hope so. <laughs> but I, I, I do believe that we really know what we're doing. Um, we evaluating, we always evaluate competition. We always evaluate and uh, size who we are. We will never pretend to be who we are not. Some have very deep pocket and financial capability. Uh, we like to stay profitable. That's still my motto. I would like to expand, et cetera, but uh, I would like to spend my money wisely and smart. While we want to move fast and change things, we also... We always work within the licensed or within the, we're always going to work within the proper regulations and rules uh, that's set by state and municipality. So sometimes that's a challenge. I should say most of the time is a challenge. Not that the <laughs> rules are bad, it's that rules are made to protect, first of all, the public, then the drivers. We all understand that we have to accept that rules are, are layers of layers of many, many years of accidents, incidents, and you have to recognize it. But uh, what it is, is rules are also hardly changed. So rules have to catch up with regulations, should have should catch up with technology, with the need for taxis uh, to evolve. Like I mentioned, look, taxis have been ex in existence for over 100 years, and I really think they're going to be there for another 2,000 years. But at the same time, like any other business, they need to evolve. The public demand change 
the environment change. And all along, we wanted to move faster in, with some of our product, but working within regulation is a challenge that we embrace, but we have to deal with. And uh, we are successful. And I think that a lot of uh, municipalities now are recognizing the need to change. Uh, where we were pushing maybe three years ago and trying to educate uh, some of the regulators to why they need it, you start seeing in a newspaper, I think LA just announced uh, uh, changes to their regulation, which is super drastic. Like, But uh, the snowball start effect is start moving there. And, and I think that you will see as taxis as taxis are changing the way they conduct business. Yeah, which is great because the extra challenges you have within your business and having to deal a lot of times with archaic old-fashioned rules, regulations in the way just living here in New York City, things change at a snail's pace. And, and when they do, sometimes for crazy reasons and don't understand, but having to deal with that and know that while you're competing against some of these other folks, you guys have done an incredible job just in terms of bringing that technology. And I want to thank you. So I don't have to, I'm a cab guy. I jump in cabs. I always take cabs. And just so I don't have to give the guy anymore a 10 and get like two I don't have a change. I heard that a million times until I tell him, all right, then, uh, you know, I got to go, uh, to the bank machine. Uh, what do you got? What do you got? They figured out, but the, having that credit card for the passenger and what you've done with taxi TV and the other things and, and just made it into a, a really a great experience when in the past it wasn't. And, and it's, it's great to see what you have done. And, and now I understand understanding you as an entrepreneur and just really want to appreciate you coming on how success happens and, and sharing your success with uh, some fellow entrepreneurs and, and ones that, are looking to take the dive off the diving board. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Amos. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Nice talking to you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine, no joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.